What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Rockcast, brought to you by Onyx Hunt Maps. Today we have a super special Mule Deer episode. We have Kendall Card of Camel Fire, Black Ovis, and Crispy Boots. We have Justin Gordon, and we have our own Robbie Denning on. We're going to talk about Mule Deer. Kendall, you had some pretty good experiences this year, and yeah, just going to roll with it. Yeah, Justin. Uh, Justin needs more of an introduction than that, Jordan. I think uh, he's <laughs> he's he's humble, but he's uh, he's an absolute mule deer slayer. So I, I think I, you just kind of skipped right over a little, yeah. little bit. Of... So Justin killed the the Gordon Buck. When was that? Twenty nineteen. Eighteen. Eighteen. That was eighteen. Okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of people know that deer, and. Uh, yeah, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit more? No, no. That's I think the introduction was awesome. That's my one claim to fame. I will. I will. <laughs> I will. Go for it. And, and by the way, if you got there's a little delay here, so I can't quite tell uh, when to talk. But if you guys hear a toilet flush, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just, just keep hey, your video so, off, and I'll be fine with it. Yeah, I've got the video off for sure, but I don't, have, don't know how to turn the audio off. But anyway, so so Justin killed the Gordon Buck. Uh, that was a Colorado Buck, 2018, scored uh, 342. Is that right, Justin? I don't even know anymore. Um, oh, after, oh, after, Pope, after Pope and Young officially scored it and put it in the book, yeah. Uh, I, right. I 340s. Something in that range. There we go. So 340s, Pope, Pope and Young completely changed uh, their book and added a category for velvet deer because this buck was was killed in the velvet and Justin didn't want to strip it. As many hunters don't want to strip it. We want to we want to see them as we as we saw them when we when we hunted them. And uh, I thought it was really cool and good on Pope and Young. I know there's a lot of haters out there, but I, I thought it was good that they they created that category now that that buck will will always be listed in, in every book, even if it's, if, even if it's bested by another buck or the way it was before you just got a one-time listing if you had a velvet buck. And so there were some giant bucks that have been killed over the years that guys didn't want to strip. And then they just disappear from the books because they never print them after, um, um, after I guess when they go on to the next cycle. So, um, impressive Justin. And I, I thought that was so cool that it actually, made it all the way up into Pope and Young and, and made them take a look at how they've been doing things for untold number of years. It was an interesting, and this is Kendall, it was an interesting experience for me as as Justin's hunting partner, but um, hearing, uh, there was one, one instance, Justin and I happened to be together at a, an event and hearing one of the Pope and Young guys talk to Justin, both as a, as a guy that's scoring but also as a guy that was, um, uh, I suppose when he was a little bit, he was kind of a champion of you should leave the velvet on and this might help be one more reason that, that Pope and Young will make that, uh, that new category. And so, but he was very kind enough to just say, Justin, you, it's your call. Isn't that right, Justin? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone that I dealt with at Pope and Young is phenomenal in that regard. Um, but I, I do think that there have been enough things that maybe the timing, it's like technology every once in a while, an idea and technology hit a certain crosswords and you see 
something that, that you say, Oh, why didn't I think of that? You know, and, and this deer, you know, we killed it in a time when there was enough of a backlog of big velvet deer that weren't in the book and enough, I think pressure built up to, to change that. And then this one came along at the right time and, and it just worked out that they kind of added that category about the same time. And maybe there was something, you know, it, it was another trigger or the straw that broke the camel's back, but it was definitely kind of at the end of, a, I think, a lot of great deer that just aren't recorded in the book because they're in the belt. Right, right. And um, and I know there was a lot of, of uh, bashing going on back and forth, and it didn't matter to me whether it was a cactus buck or not, because it was a giant buck. Um, and, and from what I understood talking to you, that the buck had full testicles from what you could tell. Um, did, did anybody at Pope and Young ever decide if it was a cactus buck or does that not even matter? Is it, but by creating this category, do we, we don't even worry about that anymore. Yeah, my, that was my impression, Robbie, is that it, it wasn't relevant when you look at the antlers, whether or not they shed every year or don't, um, uh, they just kind of said, look, it's in the velvet and everything's on the up and up. So, and, and we're kind of, um, I don't know, Kendall, did we break the news that I used a, a, an alias for you when I wrote the story? <laughs> Kendall's the only other person that saw this buck uh, dead on the ground. And uh, that was the first thing we looked at, we're trying to figure out what, uh, the, what we were looking at. Cats out of the bag right here on the rock cast. <laughs> Kendall has now been elevated to the level of Bigfoot. Oh, he yeah. was the mystery guy that was in the story in uh, Western Hunter, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I used an alias just because, you know, I probably should shut up already, but they're, they're too late. <laughs> there are enough people Keep going. that are curious about things. And it was like, ah, we don't need people connecting more dots about where Kendall's hunting and where I'm hunting and those types of things. But at the end of the day, that was, um, Kendall and I have had some great experiences in the mountains together. And this is just one of them. And it was, um, I don't know, I think it further testament to, to where this buck was because where Kendall and I are hunting is not easy to get to and it's not easy to get out of. And, and um yeah there were a lot of people that had a lot of questions but i was never i always just laughed them off because i was there with a great friend we had a great experience together and that's all that mattered all right folks just jumping in here real quick hope everybody had a super merry christmas and would like to encourage people to go check out onyx hunt maps could help you on your next outing if you use code rockcast at checkout you can get 20 percent off and yeah, doing a lot of scouting these days, especially after listening to podcasts like this. Hopefully you're enjoying it. And also would like to thank Black Rifle Coffee for helping us bring this podcast to you. I am currently drinking the holiday edition that I got at Cabela's. So if you uh, haven't got that one yet, it's pretty good. It's a light roast. Big fan. And uh, yeah, you can go check out all of... Black Rifles uh, Coffees and their subscriptions at blackriflecoffee.com. And we'll continue on with the episode. Yeah, Robbie, I think the, um, and that, that might be a bit of a segue into um, kind of why we reached out to you. I mean, we, we didn't, we weren't intending to do a podcast, but our, you know, Justin and I have had some pretty amazing experiences. I've watched, I mean, I've really kind of learned from Justin. I, I was a, dyed in the wool elk like 
tell the tell the grave elk hunter before uh Justin allowed me to come with him into Colorado to his, his little spot. Um, funny, funny story about that. Uh, just, um, is, uh, Justin and I were supposed to go hunt some other unit and, and, uh, I started doing some research on a handful of different units and the little beta that I've gotten, gosh, <clears throat> about 10, 12 years ago from a, from a, from a guy I knew out of Montana and, and I started looking at units and then, so I, I remember I stayed up till like darn near three in the morning one night researching Google Earth and writing up, you know, this big email to Justin. Like, I think we should hunt like these areas. And this is this area looks super interesting to me and kind of laid out a bunch of different parameters of why. And uh, I sent it off to Justin and the next day. He was like, oh, my gosh, you just you just nailed one of my spots, um, that I go in the back country. And so I guess he, he was like, well, well, I'll let you into the secret club, but, um, but we, we've hunted this spot and, and, uh, after that, we had a pretty amazing year this last year. And as I was reflecting on a number of the experiences that Justin have had last few years, the more I keep learning, um, this was the first year that I had ever, hunted a deer um i'm really more of an opportunist and when it comes to the mule deer i don't i don't have you know a target of you know the biggest buck on the mountain and i don't have unfortunately the uh the ability to do a lot of scouting because my summers fill up with events so i really rely on justin um and it's a testament to our friendship because he he does the lion's share of the scouting and you know, we, we prepare, but we, we had a couple experiences this year that, uh, and, and my really first time spending, I spent, we were there, I think nine days, Justin. Um, and eight of those nine days I spent chasing one buck. Um, and incidentally the buck I ended up killing was a buck we saw on the last day after not turning up my target buck and, uh, and then had an amazing stock. And so I, kind of started thinking about you, Robbie, and, and wanted to, uh, to just chat about mule deer and what, what things we've been learning and maybe some of the things that you can shed some, uh, some light on, and we can have kind of a cool conversation about behavior of, of big mule deer and, and how it is you can track them down and, and put an arrow or put a, put a bullet in one. Sure, but like I said before, Jordan hit the record button. I think we're backwards here. If you, I didn't even get a buck this year. I saw those guys, those bucks you guys got this year. You did awesome. But in the spirit of learning and talking about mule deer, I am happy to take your questions. But just be ready. I, I may have some for you. <laughs> Justin, do you want to start out a little bit with your kind of like maybe a summary of of your. Uh, your season this year or your experience in Colorado and maybe a couple of the questions that you might want to run by Robbie and then I can dive in or I can add to, I think maybe sharing your story about, uh, about your buck and how that went down and how you choose a buck. Cause you're a lot more selective than I am. And Robbie, I don't know, you know, it might be interesting to hear about like, how are you choosing a particular buck to make like the one, or are you, an opportunist. So maybe Justin, why don't you start out and then Robbie, we can switch over to you a little bit. Yeah, I, I do want to know how often, Robbie, when we get to it, how often you you find deer. I'm always asked the question, so did you see this buck before the season? 
because people know I, the people that I communicate with, they know that I spend as much time as I can scouting. That's why I love archery hunting or, or, or just mule deer hunting. I, I spend a lot of time. The, the hunt is, uh, is three months long. The time when the tag is valid, right. And I can actually kill something is maybe 10 days, 12 days, whatever we have time in the back country. But from June on, there's just an opportunity to get out and start to see where things are, or how things are lining up. And this particular year is very unique because I have photos from July and um, August, late July, mid-July, early August of every one of the deer that we killed this year. Um, and so th- it's the first time that's actually happened. I have I've scouted deer and had them disappear on me. I've scouted deer and not killed them until a year later, which isn't very, that, that's one of the questions I have is how often you've been able to track deer year after year after year, because that's only happened to me. I think one time that I can think of off the top of my head. And it um, only happened to me once, which was the buck I killed last year. Yeah. Where we have like three years of that, of that deer on camera. Um, or, and, uh, so people always ask, well, did you know about this deer before you killed it? And the answer is usually no. Uh, <laughs> I have not been lucky enough to like pin down a deer and know that that's what, uh, typically I've known an area and been able to find the deer in spite of several hours, you know, days in the backcountry scouting. Most, most, most years I'm finding the deer that I want to kill in season. Uh, this year was a little different. I spent a little bit more time dedicated to a specific area and Kendall and I got in, I, I don't even want to say because I don't want anyone to try to beat us in there. But we got in several days before the opener, which was another key element I thought this year that allowed us time to focus on a specific on specific animals. We weren't spending the first two days of the hunt running country trying to find the deer. Um, right. kind of, where we were going to hunker down. So that's really a poor summary of the year, but that's, that's a question I have the same question I get asked because I'm not finding deer every single year that I end up pinpointing and killing during the, during the hunt. Yeah. Um, well, my, my, um, experience has been similar on, finding deer from year to year. I, I, I hear a lot of guys talking about that and I'm not calling BS, but you know, if I look back at 35 years of chasing bucks and, and scouting, you know, nearly as much as I hunt, as you were talking, I just ran through my head real quick on how many bucks I've seen year to year maybe maybe just 20 percent of the big bucks i've killed and and it might even be a little lower than that um just a few like i can think of about three maybe four um and so most of the time when i see a big buck or an up-and-coming buck let's put it that way because that's usually where you're thinking you know because if you see a big buck man you go after him you try to get him right Right, um, absolutely. Uh, and 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 so it's usually an up and coming buck. And for the for the most part, I can't find them again. I just I just can't find them again. And yet the number of guys I hear that are doing it, I'm like, man, you must be doing something different than me. Or I think this is part of it. <laughs> I just think they see a big buck somewhere and they get a 
get a glimpse of it. And the next year they see a big buck and they just automatically say that was that buck from last year. That's got to account for some of it because I, I I just spent so much time trying to find these bucks from year to year and it just hasn't worked out, but it's, it's definitely the gold standard and it's what I look for. And if I, if I'm finding good bucks in an area, part of my scouting um, is to always visit those places. Always. I mean, I've always looked at scouting like a trap line. It's, you just got to keep checking your areas. Just keep checking, just keep checking. And I, and I'm always looking back to what did I see last year? But a lot of times I, I'm going back to places where, Hey, I saw some nice bucks last year here, or I liked it, whatever. And I go back and I see other bucks, but not necessarily the ones I was looking for. The best buck I've killed in about 15 years was in 2018. You know, I hunt that place and scout that place a lot. And, um, we got some snow. I'd hunt it during archery. There was a couple other big bucks in there and then, um, hunted it during rifle. And, um, I just got done writing a story for it. So it's really fresh in my mind. And, um, this buck, we got a big snowstorm. This buck just showed up and there was not enough of a snowstorm to migrate deer. I mean, he didn't come from somewhere else or I just found him and, 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 and killed him. I had never seen that buck before, you know, scouting, he was four years old. So, and he had double cheaters. He would have been recognizable from the year before. I'd never seen him before. And the two big bucks I chased during archery season, I never saw them during rifle. And then the next year, 2019, I was all pumped to go back in there. Cause I thought, man, there's two other big bucks that were here last year. And, and, you know, there's a good chance at least one of them will be back. I never found either of those. So I think you just kind of have to be thinking on your feet all the time and not get too, too bogged down in the idea of, oh yeah, I'm going to find this buck from here. If you don't, it's okay because and I think you'd agree with this, Justin, is if the area is growing big bucks, it's probably going to continue to grow them short of some change in management or, you know, a bunch of people show up or, you know, something. It's it's usually going to be good for another big buck. And so that's to answer your question about scouting and how do I pick an area, it's usually based on that right there. Just go into areas that have historically produced good deer. That that gives me a lot of, um, I don't know, it gives a lot of comfort because I thought I'm just missing something here. I mean, you, you hear about the guys like Randy Ulmer, and I think he, if I, if I understand his stories, right. I mean, he's picking out his deer in July every year for the most part. And sometimes he's tracking one from year to year to year, but I can only think of even Kendall, you remember handlebars off in fantasy Island. Mm-hmm. Sorry for the code words everyone listening, but, but that's, a buck that, that's, that's a buck that we, we saw in back-to-back years. And you knew just because he had a super unique antler configuration. The other thing that I wonder about is I'm like, okay, I see a buck that I think is a really young 180 class mule deer. I probably am not going to, re- I'm hunting the back country and I'm documenting things as best that I can through a spotting scope, you know, uh, but I'm probably not going to recognize that deer next year unless it has some really distinct features. And I think that's part of the other reason why year to year, I don't know which bucks I'm hunting. Like you said, once I find one that sure. looks big, then I don't know if that's the same deer. Kendall's deer that he killed last year had unique features. So we were able to track it three, was it three or four years in a row? Three, three years. I stalked him uh, the first year, uh, drew on him uh didn't shoot just the shot wasn't right the next year we found him on opening you know the day before opening or opening day he was in an unstockable position so i went and stalked another buck and shot that buck and then you stalked him and then we came back and he was 
And, and I, the thing is, Robbie, this is also interesting. I, I aged that deer. I had him, I sent his tooth teeth off to get aged and he was only five and a half. And I'm like, there's no, I, in my mind, I'm like, there's no way that buck had too much mass. He was too, but he had this absolutely recognizable three by four frame with a cheater and a bladed, uh, 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 G2. And it was like, that's weird. And you had you had seen this buck for the two previous seasons to the season you killed him in. Am I tracking here? That's correct. Okay. So how? What did he look? What did he look like as a three and a half year old? So this is what I want. This is the I wanted to ask you this question. I just wrote it down. What is the what is the reliability of tooth aging? Because this deer was the biggest the first year we went after it. That's true. This, (laughs) This deer was what. He, he was, he was probably the biggest in, in year one, when we, when we first went after him, when by tooth age, he would have been three and a half. Gotcha. So his first year, he was three and a half. Next year, he was four and a half. The year you killed him, he was five and a half. And what you're saying is when he was five and a half, he didn't even have his best antlers of those three years. So back to Justin's question and I don't, yeah, I don't want to hijack you, but are we finding the same deer? Or is this just a, a genetic signature within the area that this guy turned up and his big brother or whatever got killed on the rifle season or didn't make it, you know, got hit on the highway coming back from winter ground? Like, how do you know? I just well, let's, I, an, let's answer Justin's question first about the reliability of cementum age analysis. Okay, because that's that's really critical. As you guys yeah. know, I'm a big a big ager of mule deer and I have been for 20 years and I collect my, my daughter and I put together an order last night. We had 39 samples in it. So I get them from hunters all over the country and, and not just mule deer, but mostly. And a lot of these guys will have a little bit of history with these bucks. Not all of them. It's kind of like what I said, Justin, maybe 20, 30% of them guys will say, Oh yeah, I saw that buck the year before or whatever. But, um, and then you just look at the science of cementum age analysis it's just like counting tree rings, um, and which is very reliable. And then plus they know the error to be expected in the samples. And so they give you a rating. I don't know which lab you guys are using, but the lab I use, Matson's, gives you a rating. Um, a, B, C, um, and with A being the highest uh, reliability, that's, that deer is expected to be exactly the age that they said it is. And uh, B um, will be you know something within... Like if they say it's four, it could be as young as three years old as five. So they tell you all that. And so to answer your question, Justin, if, if it's not reliable, nothing is. So I just believe it. And I believe it much more than I do guys saying, oh, I, I looked at the molars and they were all worn down. Or, hey, we named this buck Fred. We knew it when it was two years old and when it was three, when, when it was four. Well, the problem is you really don't know their birthday. You really don't know until you age them. So maybe there is some error in cementum age analysis, but I don't even worry about it. Uh, my uncle was a taxidermist for 30 years, looked at thousands of deer and looked at their molars. He had these little charts he got from the game and fish. He would compare the charts and then I would pull a tooth and send it in. He was, he was wrong more often than he, than he was not. And so that's why I don't even look at, at molar wear because, you know, our, our, our deer are different. Their teeth all wear different, but they grow on a yearly cycle. And so that's why you can tell by, by looking essentially there at, 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 at a cross section of them. So if, back to this question, which is great question. And I think it plays into what Justin and I are 
talking about a little bit of some of the doubts of when we hear these like these guys that are tracking these bucks every single year and we feel like geez how come we can't you know or something wrong with us well i think also is that um number one if if they're if they're a, a nice looking typical they're probably going to be pretty hard to identify again um unless there's just something there that you can really tell you know super super big g4s or something like that and especially when you're looking at a buck from three are you really going to recognize him when he's when he's five maybe but I, I just don't think it's it's as solid as you know a buck that has double cheaters at his g2 g3 junction um and so um when and another thing I've seen, I saw this with the broken heart buck and I, and, and Ryan Avery killed a buck in the same area that I killed the broken heart buck in, in, in 2009, he killed one in 2015 and, um, yeah, it, it, exactly the same configuration as the broken heart buck. Although it, 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 uh, 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 we killed them both when they were six years old and at six years old, his buck didn't have quite as heavy of antlers, but the, 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 the main frame was the same. The, the length of the main beams were within a half of an inch each, each other, you know, similar cheaters, although not exact, but similar. Um, they were at least on the same time, maybe not in the same place. Um, and so those bucks had obviously from the same line of genes, if you saw those bucks within a year of each other, you, it, you're not going to be able to tell them apart. You would think it was the same buck. So we, we have these, 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 these deer living in relatively small areas, passing on their genes to the same does year after year. And I've seen this, I've seen it all in every state I've hunted in. And, and even though, you know, the unit maybe, or the area, the County, let's say may be, you know, known for Boone and Crockett bucks, typicals, let's say, I still find in certain areas, maybe a couple of different canyons in the unit or, or something like that, that the deer all, you see this, the same kind of deer, you know, they all have cheaters or, you know, when they get to a, a certain size, they, they usually will have a cheater up on their upper G2, something like that, short brow time, something like that. So I think that can also kind of confuse it a little bit on, am I really looking at a different buck? And I'm not trying to hate on anybody. If, if any, if people are just convinced they're seeing the same buck, I would never argue with you. I would never argue with you. But as Justin said, and, and I agree is that it just doesn't seem to be as prevalent for us and we're scouting, we're spending a lot, as much time scouting as we are hunting and, and we're not tracking these bucks from year to year. So it could just be genetically in that area. You're, 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 you're just seeing the, the prodigy of, of the older bucks that kick those deer out. Um, and then, on the buck that you're talking about that was n not as big at five and a half as he was in three and a half, I, I kind of have to lean on, on a little bit of experience and things I've heard from other guys that I trust. Um, giants are giants and they don't have to be eight or nine years old to get really big. The two biggest deer that I've killed, uh, um, both right, uh, uh, at two thirty plus or minus a few inches, both ways, we're both five and a half years old. And one of them was one of those few deer I've told you I've tracked from year to year because he had a very recognizable frame. He was 200 inches when he was four years old. And at five years old, he, he put on 30 inches, 30, 35 inches. Uh, the reason he was recognizable, number one, he's on the same exact hillside both years. And just the configuration of his points, the buck's like a nine by 11. And when he was a four-year-old, he was almost, he probably was a nine by 11. I mean, I didn't count his points exactly, but he had stickers all over his G2s uh, and G3s. 
and and the same year same thing he happened to get bigger back to your buck typically by the time they're three or four years old they're getting big if they're if they're big genetically big bucks and then you throw in all the other things that can happen to them with weather you know bad winters and health um you know things like that it doesn't mean every year they're gonna get bigger it doesn't mean that it's typically what you expect but you go back to the old eastman videos when they were filming bucks on the winter range outside of pinedale some bucks would regress even if they didn't look like really old bucks and then just guys like well the broken heart buck killed him when he was six when he was five he had longer cheaters by the time he was six they were just little bumps but i killed him in 2009 and when i first saw him it was 2008 which was a really hard winter and you would think that he would have been smaller. He was actually bigger, but maybe that was because there was more water that year. Who knows? That's what I'm trying to get at. That's, that's, that's where, I'm, where I'm going with all this. We don't know everything there is to know about them. And so when we get these little oddities, like, man, he was bigger at five and a half than he was at three and a half. I don't sweat it. It could either be a different deer or it could just be, you know, who, who knows? Maybe he, got a, maybe he got attacked by a lion when he was four years old and he, and he got hurt. And, and it took him a couple of years to get over it. That giant buck that Chad Roberts killed in uh, Southern Arizona, he had hit it with an arrow the year before. And, and, and it's on a podcast. I can't remember which one, maybe Epic Outdoors. Um, and the next year, or it was, you know, man, don't quote me on this. It, it, it was still a gigantic buck. You know, when you're talking 290, you know, they're, they're giants. But it was like the injury didn't didn't throw him off that bad. Yet other bucks, it will. They'll get all screwed up. Um, you know, they get sick. Deer get sick like people, and you know th- things like that can happen. So, anyways, I'm going on and on, but but that's that's why some of this stuff, I just don't sweat it too bad. If it's a big deer, um, I'm going after it. Yeah, we're the same too. And I think back to your your piece about finding the same buck. Um, and and a lot of that for me, Robbie, was the buck that I I that I was after this year. Um that that I spent my entire you know time up there in Colorado. Um Chase, we called him the freak. Um we later called him tattoo because I did put an arrow through him um and mm-hmm. literally through him. Uh mm-hmm. he went back to eating like five minutes later. It was I, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could have threaded the needle even more perfect than I did. Yep. So he became very recognizable. Basically, in no man's land, he had a he had a spot on each side. We could see him from thousand yards, and oh, there he is. But yep. my whole my whole mindset leaving Colorado was, man, I really hope the freak makes it, and I hope that I can somehow identify or turn him up or. But but the so it got me thinking, Robbie. Like you know, we're here. Justin and I live here in Utah. And the Wasatch Front is is renowned for for good big deer. It's an archery only area, and and I think about the area that that Justin and I hunt, or that you probably hunt, and I think about like you know Region G in Wyoming. I was up there. My daughter had a tag this, there up there this year, um, and I think about the the distance those deer travel. For example, Region G, some yep. of those deer are going you know 125, 100. 150 miles. Maybe I'm exaggerating that, but if I remember correctly from some of the data I read, um, they're traveling so oh, they're traveling so far. And 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 the deer, the big deer here on the front, they're moving seven to ten miles tops 
between summer big, you know, it's tough country. It's big, big country. I wouldn't call it big country. It's tough, steep country, big but it's country. also, it's right out of our backyard. So the right. distance. So I, I think there's guys here on the front that are turning up the same deer year after year because they have the yeah, ability to sure. really watch it go through, you know, all the cycles down into the edge of the city, watching in the foothills guys are watching. There's, there's a, there's a large population of guys that are watching it drop, drop its, its sheds. You know, there's cameras everywhere um, versus some of the bucks you might be chasing. Some of the bucks, Justin, I might be chasing. I mean, those deer are traveling. I don't know how many miles and they're crossing some highways along the way and they've got rifle season to contend with. And they've got, you know, they go to winter ground and then they're on the way back. And, and we know a gentleman in the area where we hunt um, who has a, he has a cabin out in the woods and he, he keeps track of the animals when they actually winter, when they move through his property on the way to winter ground. And when they move back, he's kept logs for gosh, I don't know how long, 20 years. And he'll tell me, I think last year he was like, yeah, it was the, it was the earliest or the latest they'd ever gone off the mountain into winter ground. And here's about a week here. So what I'm trying to say is it, it, these deer, they become almost impossible to track versus other deer where guys are, you know, like here in Utah in particular, there's guys that are, they're following that same dang deer nine months out of the year. And they're because yeah. the, the, the distance is so much shorter or the winter ground is, is, is a mere, you know, eight to 10 miles from, uh, from summer, summer range. Sure. And also I think it's part of what you said. There's multiple guys looking at these deer sharing this information. So if you do lose track of this deer for a week or two or whatever, it's going to show up in your circle of friends or social media or whatever. And like, Oh man, he's just down the range another mile. I just need to go down there. I think I, I hear that a lot when, when, when we're looking at deer, like some of this uh, winter range on the Southern end of Wyoming, and these guys are naming these deer. And then when they get killed in the, in, in the Northern units in the summer, a lot of guys are like, Oh yeah, here, here's a picture of your buck right here. Man, I took, I took this picture down on the desert this summer and bam, you hold it up. Yep. Same deer right there. Um, and so I think a little bit of that probably has to do with just being able to connect with people better than what we used to. And, um, um, so that, you know, if you lose track of a buck, you, you have a better chance of, of somebody seeing it and, it and it turning up and, you know, there's, I know it's getting to be more and more like that. That's just how it is. Um, you know, more hunters, you know, um, growing population a little bit, but man, I still long for the day when, when I could find one, <laughs> nobody else knew about it. And, you know, and, and, and maybe I wouldn't see it again, but anyway, it's a different subject. But that's, that's, that's where, that's where just, I mean, everyone asked Justin and, and those that knew that I was hunting with Justin was like, you guys certainly must have seen that buck. We're talking about the Gordon. You're buck. talking about the world record buck. It's like no, the, the velvet buck. No, never. One, are we still talking about that? The other. Yeah, one? yeah, yeah. If we're talking about that okay, one, gotcha. and, and, yeah. and subsequently, any of the, any of the other, you know, any of the nice deer that we've killed, like Justin was saying, we we nine times out of ten, we've never seen that buck before, other than you know when the season begins. And, or we saw him and then just, they disappeared like the buck I killed this year. We just happened. Justin saw him in July. Well, we didn't see him again until the very last day that we hunted last morning, just caught a glimpse of him. And I, I, Justin was down the ridge for me, 20, you know, I don't know, 50 yards. And I came running down there. I'm like, did you see that buck? 
He's like, yeah, I saw all the little ones. And I'm like, no, no, no. And I happened to take a picture. He's like, oh my gosh, that's the buck from July, whatever, or June, whatever. Gotcha. So yeah, we, so it is, it's interesting because you do have areas like you just described in Wyoming. Uh, and you have areas like I described here in Utah, but I'm grateful. I think in a lot of ways, I'm grateful that we don't see the same bucks year in, year out, but it's mysterious. And so that's why the question, like, how and the hope you know for me as a as a you know pretty novice new to to chasing big mule deers mule deer um i hope i can find you know turn up the freak next year and i hope he comes back into the same zone and who knows maybe he'll get a wild hair and dip into the next base and we won't we won't even turn him up if he survives yeah and, and you know how that country is he can be in you know the next basin and only be you know, 800 yards as the crow flies and you still never see him, right? Well, case in point, yes. The deer that I wanted to kill, which we, what did you call him, Kendall? Because he was just stupid big and wide. This year? Yeah. Oh, we just called him wide load. He was, yeah. oh, yeah. he was ridiculous. Oh. He, was, he was, he was the deer I killed plus 10 or 20, if you, I think. I mean, he was, the deer I killed this year was definitely like second on the list. In fact, opening day anyway but but to your point robbie i i know for a fact the deer that i wanted to kill was probably never more than three or four hundred yards outside of my binoculars and many times probably inside of my binoculars but just not where i could see it they just that's the game with the, the kind of makes well, it I'm, fun. Gl- I'm glad you say that justin because you know i get guys you know I, I guys pushing back on me sometimes that you know they'll be like oh yeah i found this and I'm talking early season before migration. Okay. I, I get it. Once migration comes, you know, deer can move, the rut can move them. Although I find if there's no migration and it's just the rut, a lot of times they just move to the closest toes. Not always. But I get guys pushing back like, no, no, I hunted there eight days and that buck was gone. Well, I'm always like, well, how can you be so sure? Number one, to me, it's a little bit arrogant because it's like, you know, you can't see everywhere that they go, especially in this rough up and down nasty you know nine to thirteen thousand foot stuff you know they can just go over the ridge you know and it takes you a day and a half to get over there and just because you go over there you still can't see everything you know a lot of guys will sit on a hillside for a week and glass across the base and think they've seen every deer there's bucks right below them they can't see because of the angle of the hill you know what i mean justin oh <laughs> do we know what you mean yeah. So that's why, that's why I'm always like, you know what, if they moved and they they're out of the area, well, I don't know where they went. So I'm just going to stay here and just wait for them to come back. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't just sit on the same rock all the time. I don't do that. I mean, I move around, but to just say, Oh, they've migrated down the range. They've got some honey hole, some other place that they go when there's pressure. That's the one that makes me laugh. Cause I'm like, well, unless you have a draw tag, where are they going to go that there's, there's not pressure. I mean, seriously, where are they going to go? They're, they're not going to just get up and move and go find some place that there's no hunters, especially the places I hunt. You know, I'm already in the places where there's very few hunters. And so, so I'm glad to hear you say that, Justin, that even when we're not seeing them, I still try to think, you know, they're probably right here somewhere. And if I just play my cards right, don't pollute the area, don't give up. There's, there's a better chance than not that they're going to come back. I've heard Randy Omer say the same thing too. Give them four days. And, and, and it doesn't always work. I mean, that buck I hunted um, in, in 2019 that Jordan and I did the film on. I mean, I hunted that buck 17 days over three hunts. I never got him. Okay, I was wrong. He didn't come back. Although I'll bet he was right there somewhere because that was an awful big mountain. 
And yeah. you had Timber. You, I mean, I saw the film. You had, I mean, it oh. does not take long for those guys to get down into just a smidge of Timber. And, yep. you know, Justin, maybe you could explain like kind of the, the, the pattern to, you know, the deer that I, that I shot this year, the, um, you know, just where they disappeared to, or, you know, back where we hunt on the back door where they, uh, I mean, they, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I don't know, Justin, I'll elaborate on that. Well, I mean, you guys have nailed it. Uh, how they disappear in plain sight is what's, I mean, it, it takes a fold that you can't even see until you're walking through it and, and they're out of your sight and they'll, they'll stay there all day long. And, and uh, I mean, you've all experienced that. Uh, we watched it happen this year. The thing that convinced me to kill the deer that I actually killed was that we picked, we picked him up. What Kendall is the crow flies. He probably had walked 900, maybe a thousand yards. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say that's probably right. Down into just above some different timber where we hadn't seen him before. And we picked him up and looking at him from that distance, I really kind of was like, Oh, this is a pretty cool deer. You know what? It's getting late in the hunt. I, and, and we haven't seen wide loads since like day one. He just, and I knew that he was right there. just waiting I, for him. I had seen him, I think on like day three. And that was the last time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so so anyway, looking at this deer and Kendall's like, there's no way that deer is coming back up into his feeding zone tonight. It's too far away. And I was like, let's just wait. And the next morning, as soon as the sun came up, not only had he, he had traveled all the way to the top end of the basin. So he had probably covered another 800, 900 yards on foot. Mm-hmm. So he had, he had gone, Robbie, I want to say he had gone close to 2000 yards from where he was bedded one afternoon mm-hmm. to where we picked him up at sunup the next morning. And mm-hmm. I, and we knew, okay, we know where he's going. Well, let's just assume we didn't know. We assumed he was going to head back to the same place that we'd seen him the day before. And so I dropped in, lost all the elevation, ran up the next hill to the, to the last piece of timber that I could hide behind and intercepted him walking back to his bedding zone and, Killed him probably six, 700 yards from where we'd seen him in the top of the basin earlier in the morning. And I, I left at sunup. I looked at him, found him, and knew that I had to get down and back up the, uh, uh, the next side before he did. And, you know, again, it's just almost 2,000 yards between feeding and bedding over the course of the night. Mile and a quarter. It's nothing for him. But to me, I was looking at that distance going, wow, that's crazy. And no wonder I can't find wide load. He's somewhere in there, but there are enough folds in that terrain that he can disappear all day long and uh, we'll never see. And, and, and exactly. And you just said the folds in the terrain. That's the other thing, too. You can, you can be right where they're at. And if there's a little fold in the terrain or like I gave the example, if they're on the same hillside you're on and they're below you, the curve of the hill is not going to allow you to see them. And if, if you're not in the exact right place at the three or four times of the day when they're up, you know, let's just take out the morning. Let's just say that you're somewhere else in the morning, you know, when it's typically the best, right, at daylight, you know, until 9 o'clock. So let's just take out that two hours. Because if you're not right there where they're up, you know, you're especially in high, rough country, you're not going to have time to move to get over there usually. Okay? So if you're somewhere else, you know, over the next basin or down the ridge or whatever, and you hunt all day, you missed that, that two hours because he was off on some hillside you didn't see. Now you've got about three more times when he's going to get up. You know, 11, 3, 
six or seven at night. Okay. You, and he's only going to be up about 10 or 15 minutes. And a lot of times they don't even come out that far out of the trees. They might, but a lot of times they don't, you know, if you're watching them, you'll still get up and move around in the kind of broken, broken cover, just enough sunlight to hit the ground where they can eat the, uh, grow the, the, the herbs and forbs that they want. And then they'll lay back down. Um, and so if you're not right at that angle for that 15 minutes that he's up those other three times of the day, you're not going to see him. And you can be looking right at the hillside he's on and you still might not see him. At least that's been my experience. And so that's why I'm always real careful about, about pulling out or giving up on an area because I know that, man, a lot of things got to go right for me to get a good angle on this buck. And that buck you just talked about, Justin, he moved 2000 yards, man, you were really fortunate to be able to, to see that, you know, cause I think more often than not, we can't, you know, as soon as they go over the ridge, you, you know, do they go left or right on the ridge? Do they go straight to the bottom and up the other side? You just don't know. That, that's uh Robbie. That's it, it was amazing to watch. And, and I had told Justin, I'm like, there's no way that buck's coming back up into this basin. There's no way. He just he just went basically halfway to Texas. And I was like, mm-hmm. uh, and but it it it's amazing. You know, I, the 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 buck that I was stalking, freak, I watched him leave a feeding area and he went he went so far and literally later that day, like right before sundown, he came right, he kind of made this circle, went from kind of high bedding area down one of those folds Justin's talking about through and all of a sudden I picked him up in the trees and he came out in, you know, and I took off running and just missed him. Justin, I got back and Justin's like, he, you just missed him, you know? And it's like, I can't believe the distance that that deer traveled, but you know, deer will, you know, what I've learned is they like a particular zone and they will, it doesn't matter what kind of travel they need to do. They'll get there. And, and, and like Justin said, it's easy for him. It's, it's impossible, you know, not impossible. It'd take us an afternoon just to make that move. And it takes them 20 minutes, you know, on a, just exactly. go. Yeah, but, exactly. It's nothing for them to traverse that terrain or, you know, they can, they, what they, what they can move in an hour can take a man eight hours, depending on the country. It's nuts. So Robbie, I was going to ask a question about this deer that we turned up this year. Um, you know, that, that I ended up, ended up shooting the day after. So Justin killed on day eight or so. And then we had one day left and then we had to, had to pack up and head out, not turning up uh, the freak. We went into another basin. Basically it's kind of, we call it the main basin where we go to the glassing point and, um, and we boogied up to the glassing point, caught a glimpse of this deer and he was going out around this big face out into a zone um, called the fingers and we just literally caught a glimpse of him. I ran down, I showed Justin the photo. He's like, that's the deer. So we ran out the kind of to our left on this ridge to get a different angle to what to see around this face. That was how far is that face away, Justin? It's got to be at least a mile as crow flies. Yeah, it's a, it's a haul. <laughs> well, I'll have to Google Earth measure it, but it's a long way. It might be, it, let, let's say it's half mile, right? So three quarters of a mile, somewhere in there, but we captured catch a glimpse of him and and then he's gone. So Justin's hunted that terrain. I have only hunted that particular zone once, Justin, maybe twice. I think that once it was one of the first times I went in there and I I blew a stalk and then I missed missed a couple of deer. And then anyway, it was it was a comedy of errors for me that day. 
Um, but my point in the kind of leading to the question is we went out there on a wing and a prayer. It was like, man, it's a long way to go on the last day but that's our only hope at a big deer. There were a couple, there was a three point out there that I was like, I would, I would have been happy to shoot just to, just to shoot. But Justin kept saying, man, we're just going to, we're going to go across the fingers and what, and let me describe it. It's basically, it's very steep, semi-open terrain leading down. It's open terrain leading down to cliffy and then timber. And each of these fingers or folds you're basically going up over a little ridge and down or you're you're going across a face that kind of has some dips and you've got avalanche shoots that run down and justin justin knowing the terrain just said we're going to check every bed we're just going to we're going to still hunt across this face around the corner and out along this face and we're just going to look and it really was a good lesson for me because we were looking not just straight downhill we were looking you know forward into the beds then when we got above them, we were looking down in the beds and then we got past them and looking back into these beds on the, on the lower side of cliffs inside like little jack pine bedding areas. You know, those, those bedding areas, they'll dig those things out like three feet deep and mm-hmm. you basically yep. have to step and on them you, to see them, but. Been using them for hundreds of years. That was, that was my question is, and we went by, and I had glassed this actual bed that Justin Justin turned up this deer in. Um, I looked down in there. I couldn't see anything. I actually backtracked to look at another spot at another deer that we had seen that I thought, man, that'll be a good consolation prize. Um, and Justin happened to catch the edge of a right, the right tine and just a, just a hint of his, his rump. And, and he kind of signaled to me and I ran back over and then and we ended up going on a, I went on a pretty rad stock and, and made it happen. But my question is, is how, how often are these deer, how reliable it is, is it to find and then I guess midday still hunt or checking beds as a strategy for, uh, for turning up the same deer in the same beds? Um, same deer in the same beds like from the day before like so i saw just yeah, uh, uh, i saw wide load we'll use your buck and he was bedded under the the cliffs that are underneath the spruce and then we lose him that afternoon don't see him that night don't see him the next morning what's the likelihood of him bedding back up in those same beds is that what you're saying yeah absolutely and then potentially the next year knowing there's a buck in that bed almost every day or if there's 30 beds on a on a giant hillside five of those beds are going to have deer in them every afternoon. I mean, how, how reliable have you found or what, what's been your experience in hunting those? Well, this, this is not beds? a question for me. This is a discussion for us to all have. And so I'll just share what my experience is. Cause I'm just as curious as to what yours has been. I find with the biggest bucks, and that's always what I'm, what I'm focusing on the bigger, older bucks, if you read my articles closely, I always put the word pattern in quotes. If I pattern a mule deer, because I don't think the big bucks are all that patternable. And now, now we just got done saying, wait a minute, I thought you just said they might be in that same basin for a while or just over the hill. Okay. That's the, that's the pattern in quotes. That's as about as close as I can get it. My experience is these big bucks typically use different beds, different trails, different saddles 
almost every single day. Mm. Now I may catch them in the same basin, but I don't catch them using it exactly the same every day. You know, they've moved up a hundred yards, they've moved down. And, and what I'm getting at is, do you know how many big bucks I've seen that, oh, he just walked across that hillside. I'm going to sit there tomorrow and he's toast, man. I'm eating tenderloins for dinner tomorrow night. Oh, but if I have sat there just dying in the sun and there's that sucker clear down the canyon, 400 yards on another hillside. And I haven't spooked him. He doesn't know I'm here. You know, I've set up cameras on, 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 on saddles and, and, and trails and, it takes all summer to get some of these bucks to walk down the same trail twice. Now he may just be 50 yards away, but, but that's been my experience is that they're not patternable down to the same bed and the same trail and the same hillside on an everyday basis. You may get lucky and catch them there a day or two, but it's not like, Hey, I found this buck using this hillside July 27th and he's going to be right here. No, that's where I used to get all goofed up because I'd be like, well, it's the second day of Archie season. This sucker's not here. I'm I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else, you know, instead of, well, okay, he's not using here. What's it look like on the backside of that? You know, that, that kind of stuff. So what's you guys' experience been? Justin, you you, you know that, that country that I'm talking about. I mean, you've hunted it more intently than I have. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, what – we i think i just got i think we just got lucky in that particular bed but knowing that he was in that particular bed makes me wonder can we rely on finding a buck in that particular bed year in year out yeah my my experience is very similar to to what robbie explained except for two years ago so uh 2020 and I, it's the 198 buck that I killed with my son. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting about this, Robbie, is that this deer, so I saw him in 2019 and he was big. Like this was the deer that I, I genuinely think was, I think in 2019, he was 210, right? And again, same, same cheater, same side as this, just an antler configuration that we see. And so the next year I kill a 198 buck that looks like he's gen- he's at least 10 inches smaller than he was the year before, but he flat disappeared. And I thought I caught where he was heading, but I could never turn him up and it wasn't worth covering the ground that I had to cover to kill him. So flash forward to 2020, I'm sitting there with my son the night before the opener glassing that area seeing if i seeing if the 210 buck from last year's back right because i hadn't found him scouting hadn't seen him it's last light and i see this deer walking towards some timber and i get the spotting scope out and i'm like oh my gosh the cheater's in the right place it's a big four that that's him but it's late it's grainy but it's a big buck so the next morning uh, I've got the sun in my eyes. It's opening morning. I can't see anything until the sun's high enough that I start to pick up deer on the, on the hillside where I had seen that deer the night before. And I finally find him and he is a long ways away from where I saw him the night before. And he's far enough away from me, Robbie, that I'm, in my twelves and I don't dare 
take my eyes off the glass because if I lose track of him for one second at the wrong time, I'll probably never pick him back up. And so I'm following him intently, you know, I'm cramped. My body's aching. I'm like, I can't let up until this deer slows down or beds. And I mean, and I literally, when he finally walks into his bed, I was pinching myself because he walked right into the same bed that I saw him walk out of the night before. Mm -hmm. And I killed him um, at three o'clock in the afternoon when, cause I left my glassing point at about 10 AM and I had that much ground to cover to get over on top of him. And I happened to get mm-hmm. on top of him and he walked out for about five minutes to do his little thing. Like they do walked out of his bed, nibbled for a second, turned around and I got a shot and killed him. But in that instance, that is two years in a row where I saw a buck going into not an area, but I know the bed I've walked through it. And this Mm -hmm. year, this year I killed Mm -hmm. that deer out of that bed last year. This year I was very excited because both on my scouting trip and during one of the days of the hunt, I told Ken was like, there's that buck again. It's a young deer. It's a good up and comer. If it uses that same bed, I am going to kill it out of the same bed, but I saw another buck, a good deer this year going in and out of that same bed uh, a couple of days in a row. And it's not an area. I'm telling you, it's a bet. That's the only experience I have. And the reason I think that is, sorry for the long story, but the reason I think that is, is that area gets pressure from, uh, from, from hunters and where those deer go to bed down and that particular bed the only way you can watch those deer move and the only way you can get to that, watch them go into that bed is for, from where I am. And I'm across the drainage Kindle. What are we two and a half miles away? Maybe like, two, two, probably for sure. Maybe a little you're, stretch. You're straining with 12s. Um, and you're see just seeing what, a frame. You're not really you, seeing. Yeah. Anything. You're maybe seeing a frame and then you put the, you put the spotter up and you're like, okay, yeah, that's, that's the deer but you're turning it all the way up and then you're just watching it through your 12s um, until you can't see it anymore. And it's an angle thing, right? There's, there's one angle in that entire drainage where you can watch that face and it's the face where they can get away from all the other pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and maybe Robbie, do you think that there, because of what Justin described the, the pressure and that is what you called the, that safe zone, they may frequent the same, spot or is it just circumstantial i don't know dude i don't know but it sounds like Justin and i agreed that it's it's the exception to see this occur rather than the rule it, right justin we kind of agreed on that we don't see it a whole off a whole lot no i just highlighted one instance in my entire experience in the mountains where i've there seen you it. Go. And so, so yeah so, that's exactly yeah Right. And, and Scotty Thompson, uh, one of my good friends and, um, uh, lives in, uh, Northern Utah. Um, he killed a buck a couple of years ago, um, uh, called the legend. And, uh, it, it went in Pope and Young, probably in your category, Justin Velvet, I think it was 228. And, uh, this was kind of a famous buck because it lived in the back country, but it would migrate to town like in before the rifle season opened, no snow, no nothing. Just like I'm getting out of here. And it would go down and live on, on a golf course somewhere in the, in Northern Utah. So he was kind of a well-known buck when he was down there and Scott knew, man, the only way I'm going to kill him is, is during archery season. Cause that's the only time he's on the mountain. 
And Scott had actually scouted enough that summer that he found an exact bed. He saw the buck go into a bed like that. And Scott snuck in there a few days later, which was opening day. Um, the story's in Eastman's, if anybody wants to go read it. And he sat very close to that bed and waited. And sure enough, that buck came to that bed. And in Scott's words, it was like he was on a string. He just came right to the same bed and Scott killed him. But even Scott will tell you that's still an exception. You know, it's, it's most of the time they're moving, they're using different places, you know, on, on a daily basis, they'll come back in the same bed eventually. So that's just how I try to hunt is what I'm saying. That's what I do with all this information is I'm not going to ignore a bed that I switch, you know, a secure bed that a buck's going to, but I'm not going to spend my whole week sitting there waiting for it either. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It, I think yeah, it's, it. it's not, it's, it would be fun to, uh, or I, I suppose the easy you know, the easy layup is what sometimes we want. And it's, and with mule deer, there's nothing easy and there isn't a layup. And as much as we'd love to go back to the same exact spot and be like, Oh, every year I see a buck coming through here. It's not, uh, it's, it, those things are so wily. It's, they're such a fun creature to chase. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm absolutely smitten with them. Uh, thanks to Justin and, and my experiences. So, I keep saying as long as my legs will take me to that high country, I will not miss a season. I don't care how many elk points I have. I don't care what sweet tag I may or may not be able to draw. Um, that, that hunt is, if I could only do one hunt every year, it would be that hunt bar none. Wouldn't even be a question. There you, there you go. And you can hunt elk later in September. It's better than anyways. <laughs> yep. Um, Justin, what, what other things have you been, have you kind of, either from this hunt this last year. Um, I have a question for Robbie on, on, uh, hunting partner dynamics. Um, a little bit from our experiences. Um, you know, and I gotta say, I, you know, I, Justin is, you know, we, we, Justin and I don't see each other as much as one may think, uh, throughout the year. We, we see each other, you know, we bump into each other at church from time to time or, uh, but we don't spend a lot of time. Both of us have very um, intense, I would say, uh, demanding uh, careers. Both of us, you know, have have family with kids. Um, we don't spend a lot of time. We text a lot. There's a lot of times we're sharing information. Like I just sent Justin an email today about a pair of binoculars that I'm kind of spying. Uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, I gave him a couple of food, uh, a new backcountry bar that I found that I thought was real tasty and fairly healthy and and so but we don't you know that hunt it, it's man it is something special and it's it's really cemented a relationship with justin um without getting too gushy it's i mean it it's dang special and the relationship that we've created in the bond as as hunting partners um you know it's i wouldn't trade it for anything it's as it's as special as any friendship i have so you know, Robbie, as you, you know, so I want to have to ask you about uh, hunting um, partners and, and kind of working together with your overcoming some difficulties and things like that. But Justin, before I dive in, I'd like to hear anything that you have on that topic since you, I'm not the only person that you've, you've hunted with intently in, uh, in the Colorado backcountry. So um, uh, lessons learned or, or, or questions for Robbie or things you want to just kind of throw out there for, for our, for our discussion. No, 
Oh, I think I'd rather dive into Robbie's experience a little bit more. Mine has been, um, uh, I, I, there's just, you're in the back country. Uh, this is my one hunt of the year. Like, like Kendall just said, I'll, if I can only spend nine or 12 days a year hunting, this will be it. And so because I spent an entire year planning for, you know, nine to 14 days, um, I've learned that, uh, the time that you spend, the person that you spend that time with is, is critical to the success of the hunt because a lot of times you're coming out empty handed on an archery hunt. And so it's the experiences and the, the, uh, what you learn and take away from it because there's not always an animal involved, but I know that there's a wrong way to go about it. And I, the one thing that I appreciate again, not without getting all, uh, sentimental, but but um, I've been in the backcountry with people that I know if something happened that was less than <laughs> desirable, um, it's kind of every man for himself um, versus uh, being in the backcountry with Kendall and knowing that um, no one goes out alone, regardless of what's happening. And there have been some situations where, you know, it can get crazy when you're you know you're a full day, a good movement under load from a from a truck, from a trailhead. That's been my only kind of tough learning experience is, um, is uh, finding someone that's willing to put the other person's interests first, whether it comes to a specific animal on a specific day and knowing that today's not the day that you're going on a stock. And you might not go on a stock for two or three days in a row because you're, you're, you know, you're out there working in an area together and then knowing that if things get really bad, you've got someone that uh, is going to make sure both of you get out of there. And that's, that's not, it's not too easy to find. That's my only experience. More than that, I really care more to hear what Robbie has to say about some of his hunting partners and what he's learned along the way. Well, this is what I've learned. You have to be equally yoked. And if you're not, you have to go into the hunt with the idea of I'm taking this guy to help him and it's going to be, it's going to impact my hunt and it, I'm not going to get to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And I just have to be okay with that. Um, and you know, we should go on hunts like that. We should take people hunting because you know, people certainly took me hunting when I, I'm guarantee I was nothing but a pain in their rear. But if I end up unequally yoked with somebody's, so they're there for a different reason than I, I like big bucks. I don't apologize for it, man. I I've gone two years without shooting a deer and I've seen dozens of big bucks in that time. So people should thank me for passing them all up. Cause they're all out there running around available for anyone to shoot. Okay? <laughs> That's classic. So I don't apologize for it. I want to look for big bucks. That's what I want to do. So if I end up in camp with someone that doesn't have that same mentality, then there's always friction unless you've just had some lengthy discussions and really figured out how, how are we going to make, make this a good experience for both of us? Cause I've had guys that, you know, almost poo poo big bucks, literally just like, almost like, oh, you big buck hunters. I mean, you know, come on. And then I go hunting with them and I, in case anybody doesn't, doesn't catch this. I eat everything I kill everything 
I waste nothing. I'm the kind of guy that will eat the last little piece of deer burger on the plate because that's too precious to throw in the garbage. Okay. Well, I go with these guys that are, you know, well, I'm just a meat hunter. I don't care about those antlers. Okay. That's fine. But I have seen these guys completely fall apart and piss their pants and run in front of me to shoot at a big buck. And in my mind, it's like, well, you just aren't a big buck hunter because you've never really been around one during open season. Cause I just saw your true colors. I've seen this multiple times guys and I don't fault them. That's why I love mule deer. They make me fall apart too. Okay. But if I end up with somebody on accident like that, it's not going to be a good hunt. There's friction there. And it's partly why over the years I end up hunting alone more and more over the years. Cause some of my friends quit hunting and things like that. And it's hard to find guys that want to, that, that, that are, this other thing, that are okay with not getting one. You know, I just ate seven mule deer tags in two years and three of them were pretty good tags. I really ate eight in three years. If you count the one Jordan, I did that film on, cause that was in a really good area that took a lot of points to draw. I'm okay with that. But if someone else isn't okay with that, there's just ends up being a little bit of friction in camp. You know what I mean? Um, and, 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 you know, they shoot anything they want, but I had a guy come a, a couple of years ago and I, and I knew he was that way. I didn't mind going with him a bit with good friends. If he hears the podcast, you'll know exactly who he is and he'll laugh. But I told him, dude, if you come clear back in here where we're going, I mean, it's like eight miles on a horse and then two or three miles, two miles of hiking, you know, a couple thousand vertical feet to get up where the deer are with no horses. Dude, if you shoot a little buck up here, you are on your own. I'm sorry. I only got so many days to come in here, and I am not going to – because it's two days to get one out of there, even with the horses. You know, because you kill it, you got to get it all broke down. You know, there goes the rest of that day. And then you got to get it down to the horses. If the weather's warm, you got to get it out. And then you got to get back in and redo it all. You know, there's, there, there's at least a couple of days there. And so we had that conversation, and he was, he was good with it. He was totally good with it. There was no problem at all. But man, 20 years ago, I'd have been a f- and mad at that guy because we'd have went in there and he'd have tipped over some three point. I don't have any problem with three points, but don't go shoot them on t- some 10,000 foot peak where you lose two days on getting them out. Don't do that. You can go get one of those closer to the road. So I'm giving you a bunch of different scenarios. So those are the things I try to work out before I go with a hunting partner. And it might kind of, kind of sound rough and maybe a little bit crude, but it's just because I've, I, I've been burned and, and, and likewise, I've probably made other people feel bad because we were unequally yoked. But when you figure all this stuff out and you end up with someone who's, who's, who's all good with you and you're all good with them, they will be your best sons of your life. They will be the, the, the ones you, you'll even find you hunt harder. You do better with that guy there than on your own, you know, cause you're not, you're not alone. It, I mean, it's hard to be alone. It's hard. You know, I've learned to do it, but it's not what I prefer. But if I can be with somebody that's, that, 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 that's, that's there for the same reasons I am, and this is the last thing I'll say, I have to be okay that that dude gets a big buck. I have to be okay. And it doesn't matter if I've scouted the area more, if I named the buck, it doesn't matter. I have to be okay with it because there's a chance that he will because you can't control everything. You can say, hey, man, I spotted him. I'm, I, you know, I knew about this buck. I'm, I'm going over there. You sit here. For, somebody bumps that buck across the canyon, runs past you. You don't see him, runs right up to your buddy, and he kills him. What are you going to do, be mad? You know. So, so you have to be okay with that. 
And as a younger person, I wasn't. And, and I'll just admit it was just selfishness. You know, I put the work in, you know, I should, I should get a shot at this. Oh, I hated that. I, I got in a fight with one guy on a hunt and there was a little bit of that energy going on. And I was like, oh, you know what? From now on, if, I, if, I, if I'm going with somebody, I'm going to be just as happy if they kill a big buck as if I kill one. And, and, and that's when I felt like I kind of grew as a hunter. Cause that's the other thing too. There's so few big bucks that if two guys go on a buck hunt and you kill one big buck, you're in the top 1% of all hunters for that year. Anyways, you know, you kind of got to get it out of your head on most tags. You're not going to get two big bucks. I mean, it just, you guys did this year, but I bet there's been a lot of other years that you haven't. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Were, year... you, were you just as happy? Were you just as excited that Justin got one and you didn't man, that it, it absolutely absolutely and it's this has been a learning experience for me like i this year as we were going out to to go after that buck that i killed this year justin had killed the day before what a rad 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 experience to watch him across the canyon you know basically run over there post up i'm sure he's freezing to death shivering waiting for this buck to come and all of a sudden it comes out and i'm just i mean i'm coming unglued he shoots that thing and i'm literally jumping up and down like he did it he did it and 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 then you know i find this buck that i end up killing the next day and we're walking out of this face and i just had this feeling like man i'm not gonna find this buck and this has been the most rad hunt of my entire life and i've enjoyed every dang second and watching justin kill that deer was as if i was sitting on the rock that he sat on when he shot it and, and it's as fulfilling. And so I was perfectly content to walk out of those mountains with a tag still in my pocket, you know, completely uh, rectangle versus notched. And that that's happened, you know, and it, but you know, there, there's been, I mean, a few years ago, I, I got, I mean, Justin that year, I killed that elk and the deer and, and I mean, I don't know, there was a, there was a little friction, I think, and I was selfish. I would, I, I shouldn't have bought that elk tag, but I did I was buy that elk tag. I was like, we're on a deer hunt and you're buying a freaking elk tag. There's no time for that. <laughs> right. And, you know, I just went on the stock of my life to kill this elk up in mule deer country. He had no business being up there and I shoot this elk and, and it was an, in- it was an interesting experience for just, and I, and I felt guilty. I was like, oh man, we've only got a day and a half left and I should have, I should have, I should be helping Justin kill a buck. And, and so it's been, he's been extraordinarily patient with me as I've gone through this learning process. And, and it's been rewarding as you were seeing Robbie to watch Justin kill like the Gordon buck. There's no, yep. there's not even a fiber of my body that ever thought I should get a shot at that deer too. Not even mm-hmm. for a microsecond. And when he mm-hmm. killed that thing, I, I I I was frozen to, frozen to death because I'm sitting on the on the shady side of a rock watching snow through my binos in every stitch of clothing I brought to the to the mountain. And he and you know, I'm just I'm just I mean, I'm verbally saying, get to the get to the yellow grass. Get yeah. and he can't hear. I mean, he, you know, I'm like talking out loud and I'm just like, it kills that buck. And it was like, we win. We it like it wasn't he we wins, win. Was, we win. And that that's, we win, exactly. it's been a cool progression for me to get from, and I'm, I mean, there's going to be a selfish situation, I'm sure next year or the year after. And our, our friendship will be not necessarily tested, but it'll be strengthened 
because of, you know, working through those things, but um, it's cool to hear your perspective, Robbie, and to hear your, your experiences on that topic. I appreciate you answering that question really, really well. Yeah. Right, man. And I like how you said that we win. Cause that's really all you got to get to that point. You'll know you got the right hunter when he thinks that way. We won, even if we only got one big, but we won. And I, my, I'll put my money where my mouth is. Anybody can go to my rock slide blog and look at the post. It's just a couple of post facts. I just wrote it in October. It's called spotter gets first shot. Go read that post. The exact same thing happened to me this year of a buck that I had scouted. I had a long history with, I took a guy in there. He got, he got, uh, he spotted at first. He got the, he got the shot on it right off the bat. I had like nine days history with this buck. Yeah. There was a little, little twinge of that. Oh man. I can't believe he just, he just got a crack at this buck and I didn't, but I was so good with it because before I even took him, I was good with it. I'm like, this guy would, would do the same for me and I'm going to be okay if he gets the buck. And sure enough, just the way the situation came together, he got a crack at it. Now it's a little, little easier to say this because he did miss it. Ha ha Travis Hobbs, <laughs> but he did get the shot and there was no part of me that was bitter about it. I was so happy for him. Cause it's just, it's just the way it came together. I, I may have some growing to do because so far Kendall and I have not chased the same deer. <laughs> and I got to be honest with you, if I find a deer in July and I find it again in August and then Kendall turns it up opening morning before I do, uh, I'm going to have to have, we're going to have to have a conversation. <laughs> But anyway, well, it's because <laughs> Justin's standards are higher than mine. And so he's, he's always tried to find that one. And I've, I've yeah. been slowly graduating towards being willing to be less opportunistic and more focused because I, I think, I think Robbie and this, this, you, you can add to this, but I, I think I'm, I'm learning more about mule deer behavior by trying to hunt the one rather than hunt a deer, any deer. Absolutely. Cause and, you'll hunt longer. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I, it went down to the very last day and I hunted the freak every single day and I, I had three stocks on him and unfortunately didn't blow him out of the entire country, um, in the, in that process. But, um, what a, what a lesson it was. And I was happy to walk away without notching the tag because of what I learned focusing on the one deer and, and that's been Justin's MO since the second he and I walked in the mountains. So there might come a day where we both want the same one, <laughs> but you know, it, it, the friendship's worth more than, than a deer, in my opinion, regardless of a world record or just a great wall hanger. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course, of course, but there's still human nature involved. Mm -hmm. And if you're not equally yoked, there, there still can be bitterness. But I really think if you've picked your hunting partner right, um, and you have you have similar goals, you understand each other. There's there's going to be very little of that energy. But again, like I said, we can't always go with people that we're equally yoked with. And so you know, then you just have to change your thinking. Like there's guys when I go hunting with, I'm like, hey, I'm just here to help a guy. It's not it's not a big deal. Just going to help him. You know. But usually, I'm not taking that person to the you know furthest back, hardest place, biggest buck that I've that I've gone after too. You know, I'm. I'm just going where they're going to have a chance to get more success. Unfortunately, I'm getting so busy now as I've gotten older with the kids and you guys know how this is that you just don't have a lot of, a lot of time to get away, you know, but, um, but yeah, having a, having a good hunting partner, I put it in my first book, man, it's, it's, it's golden. If you can find one, you will have the, some of your very best sense you'll ever have. Yeah. 
Well, I can attest to that. We've got a good role going right now, Kendall and I. Uh, and I hope that uh, we keep the streak alive. I wish I had my notes in front of me from our hunt because there were a lot of things that I was like, oh, you know what? I need to ask Robbie Denning this question. <laughs> and, and so I may send you an email in the coming days when I go back through my hunt notes. That's one thing that um, I think has helped me a lot over the years is being able to step away, um, go back and look at video, look at pictures and look at notes um, in January, February, March of what I was going through in the first of September on the mountain and then reflecting on those things and making a game plan. And a lot of it for me comes down to angles where, where I can be in a much better position to hunt this area if we approach it from here. But I know there are a lot of questions that I have for you, Robbie. I hope you don't mind an email in the near future that kind of pick your brain because. Um, oh, no. Uh, no, we'll just do podcast part two. <laughs> I don't know if you're ever going to want to publish part one, but yeah. <laughs> ah, we'll do it. We'll do it. But yeah, send me an email. But yeah, if there's enough there, we'll do another podcast. This 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 kind of stuff's fun. So perfect. Was that Ron. everything? Perfect. Probably enough. Gordy, are you still with us? I'm I'm here. I've been here. There she podcast. is, right there. What a good what a good host. Doesn't interrupt, doesn't talk over people. You're golden. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is going to be a good one. So, yeah, I'll get it up, and then I'll let you guys know. It'll probably be up here in a couple days. Okay, that sounds good. Perfect. Well, I, I'm Robbie, thanks a ton for the time, and Jordan, thanks a ton. It's uh, like Justin was saying, I, I've got a couple more follow-ups. I'm sure we could we'll, we'll send out an email. And if it, if you guys think it warrants a, an open conversation, that's great. But I think more than anything, just being able to, to process some of the things we've Justin and I have kind of learned individually as well as collectively and try and become better mule deer hunters. Um, and, uh, and, and capture as much as we can while our bodies will still let us do the things we love to do. That would yeah. be, uh, that's the, that's really the, the motivation here. Yeah. One quick note that I want to make, because I haven't had a chance to, I mean, Robbie, I've thanked you in the past, but uh, when I found out what, what I killed in 2018, and I didn't find out until early 2019, as you guys all know, what exactly we were dealing with, you more than any other individual were willing to take time to help me navigate those waters. Uh, It was completely unknown, right? I didn't know what I was in for and what type of, uh, questions and people would come knocking at the door and uh, you made yourself available on multiple occasions to talk through questions and thoughts on the phone. And uh, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your generosity of time and helping me, you know, I, like I said, navigate a situation that I would never anticipate in my life. Uh, the type of uh, attention that, that um, doing something that I love kind of drew to me for a week or two. So thank you very much. Hey man, that's great. Uh, yeah, you're you're very welcome, um, uh, and and I hope it was good advice. It was. <laughs> I would have been uh, completely. Uh, well, it was it was a unique situation, but I would have been absolutely lost had I not had a chance to talk to you several on several occasions. So thank you. Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, we'll just put it out there. If there's anybody else out there that kills a world record buck, my phone number is two zero eight six zero four. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a call. I'm happy to consult it. with you. 
oh gosh well on a seriously justin i appreciate it dude and it was it was i remember when kendall emailed me says hey i got a guy that wants to talk to you about a meal there i'm like oh someone else is gonna needle me about an area and he's like no no it's nothing about that dude he says you'll want to talk to this guy so when, when i was talking to you and you said that this buck is like like at the time we thought it was like 350 i'm like wait a minute 250? No, 350. You mean 250, right? No, 350. Holy smoly. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> hey, thank you guys. It was a pleasure. Take care. Merry Christmas. See you guys. Hey, thank Merry you. Christmas to you too. God bless you guys.